lady listeners you're about to get the second installment of grading curves by naima simone but until then we're gonna talk so listen up what are we talking about? <laughs> I have an email. I said, I'm just, I'm starting them off with emails this week. I have an email because it pertains to something I wanted to discuss. Again, these all came this week and I was like, these are my discussion topics. So this works well. This email is entitled Several Things. <laughs> Hi, Lady DJs. Feel free to read any or all of this email. I'm getting caught up, so this may be a little disjointed. First up, Amazon. I have no idea what their algorithm is. Several of my fellow bookstagrammers have been blocked from posting reviews. Unfortunately, they have the market on convenience, so that kind of stinks. So she's got three points. We'll address them one at a time. So Amazon, yes, if you are a reviewer, you will get banned uh, from reviewing if you continue to use the words ARC, like ARC, Advanced Reader Copy. If you say that continually, they'll think that you're just scamming or whatever, or spamming, not scamming, but you're just spamming reviews. So they'll pull your reviews based on that. So if you're listening to this, don't put that in your review. Yeah. Also, didn't they have keywords like breeding or if you use the word or breeding? titles, I think, yeah. Yeah, if you or if you use other author names, stuff like that, like... You really just have to keep it very simple when, and, and that's, you know, authors appreciate anything, you know, no matter what it is, just keep it simple. You don't have to do a 20 page thing on it. You don't even have to write more than four sentences. You know, three will do, two is great. Like just write it and move on. That's all. Yeah. So the more you put on there, the more likely you are that it'll get flagged, especially if you're leaving lots of reviews. So look at that. Second portion. Well, I'm going to skip and we're going to go to the third because second one's going to be a discussion. The third is Fifty Shades. I'm also torn on reading from his perspective. I'm going to do a listen to the Fifty series and I'm thinking about inter- interspersing the Grace perspective. I did thoroughly enjoy Edward's perspective in Midnight Sun. Fuck your day up, Lisa. And like I said, we're going to go back in just a minute. But um, yeah, the Fifty Shades thing, you know, now that I'm a few weeks out of it, I think I might one day go back and listen to it from his perspective, mostly because I love the narrator's voice. It's sexy as shit. But also someone told me on, in the third book, it starts out with the wedding where, where book two ends, it picks up immediately from Christian's perspective and you get the whole wedding because normally like in the original version, from Anna's, you get the end of book two, and then it's like fast forward to the honeymoon, and she's there, and it's been a while. And so this is like, it picks up right where the other one ends, and you get the whole build up to the wedding, the whole wedding, then the honeymoon, and then it starts. So my friend Shira that was talking about it, she said that, I want to say I she- like that a lot, that it's a totally different scene yeah, you didn't get before. Yeah. I think she said she was like six hours into it, and she was like, we're just now picking up where the original book started. Nice. I mean, the book is like 25 hours or something like that on the audio. Yeah. But she, you know, that was sort of what um, Stephanie Meyer talked about, too, when she wrote Midnight Sun, was that it was very, very difficult for her to write in a scene that she couldn't change. 
And that's what I could totally envision that where like you've written out this whole scene. It's exactly that way. And now you have to do it from someone else's perspective 10 years later. But like you can't change anything. So you're bound to this. You're bound to this dialogue. You're bound to this situation. Like that would be so hard to write again. I was doing that this morning. (laughs) Were you doing the mom and dad's chapter? Oh, God, I'm so sorry. sorry. No, it wasn't hard, actually. Yeah, okay, good. But I'm just saying, I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. We're also in the process of writing a a book right now. It's like a series. And so we're doing a a book from the mom and dad's perspective. And we have to kind of go back and retell some stuff. Just like a few scenes when you run into people, you have to make sure they kind of line up what was said. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, so that was sort of with Fifty Shades. I think that was like, you know, E.L. James. I can uh, only assume that that was she was like, fuck, yeah, I don't have anything from Anna's perspective from this. So I'm going to go buck ass wild and do six Mm -hmm. hours in the audio just of this section, you know? So I, I found that really interesting. But I think, yeah, eventually I'll go back and listen to it from his perspective just because I want to hear it. But um, not right this minute. <laughs> um, The other thing she has on here, the point uh, I want to talk about is, oh, and this is from Lisa on Instagram. And she's the one with the handle, pursue what set your soul on fire. The longest Instagram handle I've ever read in my life, but it's adorable and I'm glad she has it. The other thing she mentioned is Sex Life on Netflix. I'm wondering your thoughts on the unsafe aspect of the show. Since much of the marketing has been geared towards the romance community, I'm afraid that most people will complain about that. I'm not a reader who has triggers, so it didn't bother me, but I know I'm in the minority. That's my subject matter this week. Is Sex Life the show? Are you going to watch it? No. I didn't think so. I don't think you should watch it. (laughs) Because here's what I'll say. The book, 44 Chapters by B.B. Easton. First of all, love BB. She is so sweet. She is such a gem. I have met her husband, Ken. He is so precious. He loves her so fucking much. Like he goes with her to signings. He's always so helpful. He takes pictures. He'll hold books, like whatever she wants. He's adorable and how much he loves her. Very nice person. Love BB. The book, 44 chapters is very similar to Sex Life, but Sex Life, the show, is based on the book. So it's not the book come to life. It's very open to interpretation. So the story itself, and BB did an interview on this because I looked it up, and I think it was like with Entertainment Weekly or something like that. So 44 chapters, about four men is the name of the book. She is married to her husband in this book, but the book is like a diary. It's written as a memoir of when she goes back and she remembers the four guys she dated that she had long-term relationships with before her she met her husband. So she thinks about these relationships. She does it memoir style. She talks about it. And, and, and these are all based on her real life experiences and relationships. And she wrote this out and she did let her husband read it. And she says in the interview on Entertainment Weekly, I did it as sort of like a kick in the ass to tell him, these are the past experiences that made me me. These are the Mm. things that I love. I want to incorporate more of that passion and fire that made me me into our marriage. You know, when she says that in 44 chapters, they took a direct quote out of it where she's like, I want to live with this man until I'm 100 and I want us to die on the same day and I want our souls to find us, find each other again immediately so that we can fall in love all over again. 
And that is exactly how she feels about her husband. Like BB feels about her husband, Ken. And so, but she said there was like this fire, this passion between them that was missing. And she said, I didn't know how to explain what I wanted without explaining my past. And so that's what this memoir is. Now, for those of you who want to read 44 chapters, that is a glimpse into each of these men's, but there's no cheating. It is safe because she stays with her husband. You just get to hear about her past relationships. So if you don't want to hear that, obviously don't read it. But if you're okay with that, you know, knowing that she stays with her husband and there's no cheating or anything, it's just her reliving those in her head. That's what that book is. And then she has a four book series that springs off of that. So each guy in the book gets their own book. But she ends up with her husband. So that's the only one that has the happily ever after. So the other books are about the dudes, but they don't last, obviously, because she's going to her husband. So again, you can read those books. What Sex Life does is it takes a more literal approach to that. So I've watched it and a little bit of a spoiler, but also if you have trigger warnings, you might want to listen. Um, In the show, the... Billy, the the main heroine, she is married to her husband. Again, she writes the memoir. She leaves it out for her husband to see. But they take it further as in she tells her husband she's not over her ex. And so I'm not done with this series because I know it's going to be a big cliffhanger. So I'm kind of like slowed down on the, the binging. She goes with the ex. So she tells her husband she needs to explore this and see how it's going to go because She, you know, got married, moved out to the suburbs, had kids, and all of a sudden she's like, who the fuck am I? Like, I see these other moms around me where this is enough for them and it's not enough for me. And so she's like, I love my husband. I love my children, but this is not who I am. And so it's sex life is really about her trying to figure out where she fits in in this new life and how does she reconcile it with her old life. So that's what it, it explores. I loved 44 chapters, but I don't know how I feel about the show. It's, it's so fucking well done. And I wish I hadn't read the damn book. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I wish I didn't have something to compare it to. Yeah. I I think maybe if I didn't know, and if I didn't know Baby and Ken, because I'm just like, what the fuck are you doing to Ken? That's what I want to say about the show. I'm just like, I was like. Baby would never do that to him, you know? Like, what are you doing? And there's moments in it that are just so funny where I'm like, oh, that's really totally the book. So, I don't know. It's so well done. So, it's so beautiful. It's hot as fuck. The sex scenes are on fire. Like, oh, man. It's, it's steamy as shit. It's beautifully shot. The actors are awesome. Like, it's legit. So, I don't know. I think if you have not read the book, you should definitely give the show a try because it's it's so different and we need to fund these things. So, but I don't know. I mean, I, I really enjoyed it for, you know, what it was and um, I'm definitely going to keep watching it because I want more shows like this to get made, you know? Like, that's what I was saying on Instagram the other day when I was talking about it. It was number four. It's number four on uh, Netflix right now in all of the United States, which is insane. And, you know, if you want more romance books to get made into shit like this, you got to watch it. Like, you got to put your eyes where you want the dollars to go. So, But I don't know. It doesn't sound like that 
turn doesn't sound very romancy to me. Yeah, no, you're right, and I think that's a valid. So that I'm kind of like that. That's they're not doing what I want, really. Yeah, I can see that, and that I think that's what Lisa's point too was like. If this is billed as a romance, and this this is a book from the romance community, how is the romance community going to respond to this? Like, I feel like yeah, they're Mm -hmm. they're using us. Yeah. For leverage of something yeah. they want to make. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe, I mean, it's a, like I said, it's a valid point. But, like, at the same time, you know, I hate that she didn't have say over, like, the script or oh, anything. Oh, no, no, no. No, like, I didn't think that either. No, you know, I, th- I hate that she didn't have, like, more say on it. That they didn't, like, that it wasn't the book being made into a show. You know, the book inspired the show. And so I'm trying to see it as two different things. But... It's still shit I want to watch. It's still yeah. hot ass fucking. I'm going to watch that. I mean, like the 30 seconds into the first stop, the show, this dude's going down on her in a club. And I was just like, yes, yes, this is what I want to see on Netflix. Yes. So I'm here for it. And then you know what? Maybe next time she'll get to write it. You know, when they, I, I yeah. don't doubt it'll get picked up for season two. Yeah. And I hope they Oh, hell they yeah. Going. Especially if it's four on Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah. But sometimes four. I wonder if they try to lure some of us over. They're like, okay, yeah. we can get more drive. If we oh, get we can get away with this. Here. You know what, though? We just need to complain about the cheating and then be like, in season two, don't do this. <laughs> just tell them what we want. All right. I've got some other emails from this week. Everybody was emailing this week, which I love. Please send awesome. us to gmail.com. Send us anything you want to talk about. Um, this is entitled Book Series with Multiple Authors. Good afternoon, lady DJs. I'm a big fan of the book series with multiple authors. Right now is the Hitman series. I was just wondering how those series come about. Who organizes them? How do the authors decide which books they write in the series? Who decides the book covers? Give us the scoop. Love, love, love the podcast. Thank you for all you do. Loyal lady listener, JC. P.S. Just read Summer Camp Captive and loved it. Hope Ford and Breaky Love seem to do most of those. They fucking murder those. Like, I don't know who has the spreadsheet with all the information on it, but it's well, probably Well, some of massive. them are just loosely, like, all of them mm-hmm. have to be, like, a hitman story. But then some of them are mm-hmm. all in, like, the same town. And I've seen, like, the spreadsheet and shit. I'm like, mm-hmm. holy shit. What's that, the Cherry Falls one? Yes, yeah, where there's, yeah, like, uh-huh. character spells and all this stuff in there. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, I've just, all the ones I've seen seem to be by Hope Ford and Frankie, but. We've done a bundle like that, like a major bundle. We've done them like once or twice. We did that like, I can't remember. It was like all for all for one, all. But they didn't something touch. Like that. No, they were just in an anthology together with a yeah. bunch of authors. You know, some authors do it in order to list. Like if you get a couple of like bigger name authors and smaller name authors and they bundle up an anthology together and they price it really low, a lot of times those books are more likely to hit a list like a USA Today or something like that. And it helps the other authors in that anthology get those numbers or get those, they call them get your letters. So if you're an author that's in an anthology and you hit USA Today, you get to say you're a USA Today bestselling author forever after that. You just got to hit one time. That's it. It's like getting an Oscar. When you win an Oscar, you're forever an Oscar award winner. So it's the same thing with New York Times, USA Today, Wall Street Journal, whatever. And 
for publishers, they don't necessarily pick up authors based on that. But if they have the letters, they absolutely will put them on a cover. So <laughs> sometimes it's advantageous for authors to get those letters and that's how they do it. So, you know, I was, <laughs> this is so stupid, but when you were saying that, you're like mm-hmm. an award winning, I was like, people always, I'll see like, they were nominated for seven Amnes. Can I be like, I released a hundred books. So I was nominated for a hundred USA Today. <laughs> a great idea i never thought about it that way <laughs> i was nominated for new york times 175 times <laughs> wow you know what that really is the glass is half full mel that's <laughs> really a great is. thought <laughs> so stupid we're gonna put that next time on our resume okay all right this is, says advice about telling that i write romance hi ladies Sorry, this is a bit long. It's not long. Everybody says that and it's like two paragraphs. So I was listening to the Instant Connection episode on Read Me Romance and you were talking about being ashamed for reading romance. Now in my situation, I haven't run into so much shame for my family. I think that has mostly to do with having a father that doesn't want to talk about it, a mother who doesn't really understand it, and a sister who doesn't care, LOL. They are not, they are not really judgy. I remember one day where my mom browsed through one of my books and ended up running into a scene where I think the female character was watching the male character rub himself in a trailer or something, but we talked about it. She did make me read it out loud, which was weird. Fucking gross. (laughs) Sorry, no judgment. (laughs) That's just so fucking weird to me. Um. I've never said the word cock out loud until then. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. She just wanted to understand what I like about it. And that was all the question part. Now I write romance and I share it with some people that I know on Facebook. Well, a while ago, I had a small chat with one of them and she said, I have some concerns about your subject of your writing, but she said she was proud of my creativity. My question is, if she brings this up again, what do I say? I have written DDLG, which is Daddy Dom Little Girl, Age Gap Taboo Romances, so I know if romance is the problem, so I so don't know if romance is the problem or if the taboo is part of the problem. I love these taboo kinds of the books. Problem. Yeah, I love these kinds of books, but I don't know how to tell someone how I feel about this genre trope without seeming defensive. Any advice would be great. I really just don't know what to say. It's not the same kind of situation as with my mom. Thanks, A. P.S. And I'm being super vague about the person on purpose because I don't want to call her out. She does mean a lot to me. Oh, yeah, I think it's a taboo. I think people have a knee-jerk reaction to anything that's not normal straight sex. I think, you know, I've been re-watching something that's like 10 years old, mm-hmm. and I'm realizing how prudish people used to be. Yeah. And I wonder if I was that way before, because I just wasn't exposed to it. So, like, when you first mm-hmm. get exposed to something like that, we see these people and they're like, oh, but maybe we also shouldn't be judgmental of their, because it is really mm-hmm. just their first time mm-hmm. really brushing against that. So I think that's a, a fair point. It's there. They've never even experienced it before. So like maybe we're saturated in, in this yeah. like taboo shit. So we don't see it as like. And so they might be a little judgy at first, mm-hmm. but maybe they just need to experience it more. And then you relax more and they understand it more. Mm-hmm. I wonder, too, if, like, it's not one of those things where, I don't know how to say it. Like, 
just it, you're just never going to see eye to eye. You know, I mean, that I don't know. Like, I, I hate to say that because I don't ever want to just say like, oh, if you don't read this, then you can't be in my wheelhouse. But at the same time, like if you don't understand why, why a woman wants to write a fantasy that is maybe a little outside their comfort zone, if you don't understand that and like, what are you doing? Like, what kind of like be a friend? You know, <laughs> that's what I just want to say to somebody. Yeah. Like, don't judge your friends. I just, I have no tolerance anymore. God, I don't know what it is, but lately I just don't give a fuck. I don't know what it is. But it's like, I'm so sick of defending romance. I don't know. Like, when she first said it, when you were reading it, mm-hmm. she was like, she, her friend was like, I have a I have a little bit of a problem or something. Mm-hmm. So you read it, I was like, sounds like personal problem. Yep. That's, that's exactly what I was thinking too. That's what I was thinking like, in my head. Okay. She's got a problem, not you. Yeah. <laughs> so it just, you know, it's one of those things where I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. You don't have to share every single piece of you with the people you love. Not, just because you love someone doesn't mean they get to see every part of you. And it's okay that this one part is just yours or you share it with people who agree and give a shit. Mm-hmm. So once you find the people that do care about it, go from there. And you know what? If your fear is that your friend is going to judge you again, like that, then that's not a subject you need to keep bringing up. That's and somebody mentioned this in headquarters actually not too long ago, where she said that her and her friend were like always shared romance books. And she said, But every time I gave her a recommendation, she would always come back with comments about how nasty it was. And I was just like, then this is not a person you want to read romance books with. If she's not, like, it's okay if she doesn't like the same level of filth that you do. But that just means you don't need to share books. Not for nothing, but she keeps coming back for recommendations. (laughs) No, right? I know. But, you know, and another one of those things that those great, awesome things I've learned in therapy is that a boundary does not have to be a wall. It can be a light that tells people to walk gently. So if that's what you need to do, put up your light and just say, chill the fuck out when you come in my space. So there you go. That's my advice. Other than to say, complaining that the books she recommends you aren't dirty enough. Yeah, just be like, what is with this missionary shit? I didn't even talk about his dick. Like, Does he not even find her attractive? He can only do her like this? Exactly. Like, he didn't eat her ass one single time. What is this shit? <laughs> uh, this is entitled, It Happened Quick. <laughs> I don't know what this is. Hey, ladies, currently listening to your pod from 624. Oh, it was recent. And hearing about the marriage email made me chuckle. Well, I met my husband on a dating app. And after two months of talking, we started to actually date in March of 2014. After three months of actually dating, we moved into a house. What? Shut the fuck up. After three months of actually dating, we moved into a house. My parents flipped since we lived 40 minutes from each other originally. Come December of 2014, we got engaged. No surprise. I picked the ring. LOL. (laughs) What the? We got married in May of 2015. This is like not even a year. My whole family was married in May and I'm not a patient person. So I couldn't wait a whole year or more to have a wedding. Now it's 2021 and we're living our best life ever. We rarely fight. If we do, it's over something stupid because I can't figure out what I want to eat. Or he won't get up to get me a pillow. Ha <laughs> ha. 
He is my best friend and spoils me rotten and I couldn't be happier. Just wanted to share. Love y'all. Y'all can say my name. I'm not ashamed. LOL. Kayla. That's so sweet. I love that. Rob came over and never left. I love that story. Where he just he just came over. And that just was came it. came over and never left. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love love. <laughs> it says, I met my husband at camp and so did my best friend. Oh my God! I'm so hope it wasn't excited. Camp Hardwood or do I? <laughs> You're a fucking idiot. <laughs> hey, don't be mad that I've been nominated 170 times for New York Times. <laughs> I seriously. All right, I'm gonna write this down. And if something ever happens, you know, I'm gonna write your eulogy and I'm gonna feature that in it. Okay, okay. I'm gonna put it in the newspapers. Dear Lady DJs, you were talking about summer camps on the podcast episode and I was listening to today and it prompted me to share this story with you. I'm not sure if the structure is the same in the United States, but here in Australia, we have a section of scouts. In Australia, scouts of all genders are in the same organization for young adults ages 18 to 26. Every year we have a four-day camp over the long weekend in June, which is the middle of winter. Oh, that's right. It's like snowing there right now. In 2013, at this camp, I offered to share my tent with a friend who was new and didn't have her own setup. This will be relevant later in the story. (laughs) I love this. All right. So cute. One night, we were sitting around the campfire, and there was this cute guy who I spent most of the night chatting to. It was freezing cold, and so we ended up snuggling together, sharing warmth. During the night, someone added a huge log onto the fire. Oh, a huge log. Sending sparks everywhere. He takes off his... A Kabora hat? It's an Aussie equivalent of a cowboy hat to shield me from the sparks, and we shared our first kiss. Aww. I just pictured that, and it's so adorable. I love it. I know. My wonderful outback gentleman. We spent the rest of the night getting closer, and hours later, I looked around and realized everyone else had gone to bed. It was like 2 a.m. He looked at me and asked, your tent or mine? And I replied, yours. I have a friend sharing mine. We got very close sharing his single-person bedroll for the night. (gasps) You slut! (laughs) I love this. Tell me more. The next morning, my friend woke up and in our team realized my bed had never been slept in. This being her first camp, she didn't consider where I could be. She was worried I was missing. (laughs) Oh, God. When she couldn't find me, she burst into my best friend's tent, exclaiming that she can't find me and discovered him in bed with a girl she had hooked up with on the same night. Oh, we all laughed about it over breakfast that morning. Fast forward eight years and my hubby and I are happily married with a one-year-old daughter and another on the way. And yes, my husband wore his akabora on our wedding day. Oh, his cowboy hat. I love it. Last year, I got to be the best woman when my best friend married that same girl from his tent all those years ago. When we tell the story, lots of people don't believe us, but I swear it's true. Thank you for the awesome podcast. Keep up the awesome work, Gemma. How fucking cool is that? Oh, I love it. Okay, so I didn't realize when I was reading this. So she said, when the girl couldn't find me, she burst into my best friend's tent, which was a dude, exclaiming she can't find me and discovered him in bed with the girl he had hooked up with the same night. When we laughed about it over breakfast, oh, okay, so her best friend was the dude that was hooking up with the girl that he ended up marrying. Mm -hmm. Okay, I needed to get that straight in my head. But 
I love that scene where like the sparks came Me too. Out. I like literally pictured it. Oh no. So we're gonna have to put that in the book now. <laughs> All right. I'm gonna save that email so we can steal your story. Thanks, Gemma. <laughs> All right, let's talk about Naima Simone. So we're here for the second installment of Grading Curves. I told you guys all about that on Tuesday. So The Brooding Brit is her newest release. And like I said earlier, it's it's $2.99 or in Kindle Unlimited. I'm going to read you the book bio for it. Dear Axel, it's an incredibly it's incredibly stupid to write while I'm drunk. But what's the saying? No gain, no pain, or no pain, no shame? Whatever. You know what I mean. And let's face it, there's no way I would be doing this if I was stone cold sober. But I'm plastered. To hell with it. I want you. I know. Crazy, right? Not only am I your temporary roommate, but I'm a chatty nurse from Providence with impeccable bedside manners and secrets. You're a broody commitment-phobe sculptor from England who communicates in grunts and single syllables. Not to mention you're returning home in several weeks, and yet, from the moment you drag me for being a Swifty, oh, I guess Taylor Swift fan, mm-hmm. I've wanted to climb you like my personal jungle gym. There's no future for us. I'm not even sure I like you half the time, but that doesn't stop me from hungering for those same hands that bend and shape metal to bend and shape me. So in all my drunken glory, I guess what I'm trying to say is if you want me, I'm yours. For the next few weeks until you return across the pond and we resume our lives as before. No strings, no demands, no regrets. So meet me in the kitchen where all this started. Or don't. It's your decision. Not that it matters. It's not like I'm going to do something momentarily dumb and like hit send on this text. (laughs) And then it's the girl's name. I think it's Zenobia. I think that's how you say her name. So it sounds amazing. I love a grouchy, grumpy, one-syllable hero. That is my ultimate catnip. Oh, that's the best. Especially it's British too. So that's Broody Brit by Naima, Naima Simone, two ninety nine, or you can get it in Kindle Unlimited. And you're about to get a second installment of Grading Curves. And if you want it in ebook, you can go get it right now for ninety nine cents or Kindle Unlimited. So grab that, get it, and I guess that's it. We'll send you into the second installment. All right. See you we'll guys see you on, on the other side. side. Chapter two. Dean. Nine o'clock in the morning is too damn early to be doing anything but sleeping and fucking. And falling back to sleep after fucking. It's definitely too early to be sitting in a classroom at Wellington College, the local private school, waiting for a Western civilization class to start as soon as the professor arrives. I glance at my phone. 9.03 a.m. Twelve more minutes before I can get up out of here. This might be my first year as a college student, but even I know about the 15-minute rule. I'm doing this for you, Mom. Hope you're looking down, seeing I'm on time for something, and are proud. Most people, especially my younger brother and sister, would be surprised to know I still talk to my mom in my head. I have no clue if she can hear me in heaven, purgatory, or the nothing that exists after death. I don't particularly believe in God, but she did, and since I had 19 years of having to speak to, confide in, the dementia stole her away from us long before she stopped breathing four years later. It's a habit I haven't been able to break. Don't want to break. Which explains why my ass is planted in a freshman-level class, surrounded by fresh-faced kids who still got milk on their breaths, 
Most 18 and 19 year olds who don't know anything about hardship are scraping by so your family can eat. At their age, I was putting my mother in a nursing home because of early onset Alzheimer's, working a full-time job and taking over raising my younger sister and brother. My father left all of us when I was 11. And then eight years later, my stepfather, and I use that term loosely, abandoned us because the dickless wonder said fuck you to the in-sickness and health part of his vows when mom's Alzheimer's worsened. Even though at 23, I'm just four or five years older than the other students, it might as well be 20. I have no business here. I don't want to be here, but a promise to mom during one of the more lucid moments has me chained to this desk like invisible handcuffs, even if all I want to do is tattoo. Even if I don't give a flying fuck about philosophy, humanities, and whatever else clutters up my schedule. Even if I hated high school and finished by the hair of my balls. None of that matters. Because of money and responsibilities, it took me four years longer than planned to get here, but I am fulfilling my vow to her. Scanning the room, I catch more than a few of the other students throwing curious looks my way. I can practically feel their eyes skim over the tattoos that cover my arms, crawl up my neck, and even inked into the shaved side of my head when my hair is growing back in. This is a small Christian college. While I'm probably not the only tatted up, scruff-having, pierced man on the campus, I am the only one in this class, which makes me an oddity to these preppy, conservative kids with their pastels, prints, and freshly pressed jeans. Pierced. I hadn't been wearing the barbell in my tongue last night, or the rings in my eyebrow and lip last night at the shop. Last night. How hotter would Nikki have burned? How much harder would she have come with my barbell rolling over her clit? Lust gut punches me, and I clench my jaw against the flames blasting through me, culminating in a hard and insistent pounding in my cock. I'm sure at some point, I'll be able to think of that encounter and not erupt into a human tiki torch, but today ain't that day. From the moment Nikki Barber walked into the shop, both my chest and my cock pounded. Such goddamn beauty, class, grace, and I wanted to claim it, own it, dirty it. Fuck, I shake my head and smother a snort. That's what I hungered to do to Nikki what I intended to do before Natalie showed up looking for me. I'd never regretted giving her a key to the shop more than I did last night. That wasn't the first time my little sister cock-blocked me, but it was the first time I'd considered sororicide. Any judge, male or female, who laid eyes on Nikki would never convict me. Not if they had the opportunity to bury their mouth, fingers and cock in the sweetest pussy God ever created. Not if they could have her thick, beautiful thighs shaking around their head. Not if they had that sexy, midnight and whiskey voice screaming their name. That voice, I'll never forget it. It fucking haunts me. Good morning, I apologize for my tardiness. My only excuse is I'm new here and apparently have no sense of direction. Columbus and I would have made an awesome team. The class chuckles, but not me. Astonishment and more than a little bit of confusion rips through me because I'm experiencing an oral hallucination. 
How else can I explain hearing Nikki's voice in my Western civilization class? I lift my head at the clack of the heels on the floor. It can't be. No way in hell could. Oh, fuck. Nikki, at the front of the room, setting her cup of coffee and bag on top of the desk. The desk that belongs to the professor. She's my teacher. I've had my goddamn tongue and fingers buried inside my college professor. Jesus Christ. Had she mentioned teaching at the school? I mentally shake my head. No. No, she hadn't. She talked about moving here, but nothing about a position at the school. In case you're confused about where you are, no worries. This is Western Civilization HY101, and I'm Professor Nikki Barber. She smiles, and the dimple I clearly remember wanting to dip the tip of my tongue in flashes in her right cheek. She scans the room, giving each student quick but definite eye-to-eye time. My chest is a drum kit for my heart as I wait for her gaze. It's nearer. Now on the kid at the end of my row. In here, we will examine the evolution of Western civilization. Two students over. From its origins in ancient Greece. To me. The emergence of... Of modern... Modern Europe. Her voice falters. Her eyes widen. Maybe no one else glimpses the utter shock in them, but I do. Her wide, plump, biteable lips part and tremble. A memory flashes across my mind, her teeth sinking into the slightly fuller bottom lip as I spread her legs and palmed her thighs. Shit. I shift in my desk, sliding down a little further in my seat trying to conceal the quickly growing hard-on, changing the fit of my damp jeans. I didn't get nearly enough of that mouth last night. I, I'm sorry. Tearing her gaze away from mine, she smiles, and again, maybe I'm the only one who catches the strain in it. Turning, she picks up her coffee and cradles it between her palms, like a lifeline. I'm a shade above useless without my coffee in the morning. She clears her throat, sips, then turns up the wattage of that smile, keeping all visual contact off me. As I was saying, she jumps into her speech about the contents of the class, and after several moments, the confident swagger she entered with returns to her voice and demeanor. She'd been reserved, a little unsure and out of her element in the tattoo shop. That vulnerability, especially when she shared with me about her fear of needles and the meaning behind the woodpecker, pulled on me, unearthed this protective streak that had only been delegated to family. I'd wanted, needed to, give her everything. The tattoo, a willing ear, pleasure, anything. But this woman... This woman owns this classroom and has already captured every student's attention with her poise, humor, knowledge, and take-no-shit attitude. It's hot as fuck. One thing that's not different is the power and impact of her. She's like walking into one of those wind tunnels and struggling not to be knocked on your ass. That's what looking at her is. 
a battle not to be swept up in the sensual but almost painful loveliness of those oval-shaped brown eyes, the elegant nose with the flared nostrils, the fuckability of her mouth, and that delicate but stubborn jaw. There's beauty and strength in that face, nobility and carnality. Dark corkscrew curls fan out in a gorgeous riot, brushing the shoulders of her suit jacket. I've had my hands in that hair, and I can still feel the soft and touch of coarse texture between my fingers, against my palms. And then there's that body. Christ. Today's pantsuit and white blouse are a far cry from last night's sweater, tank, and jeans, but all that beautiful chestnut-brown skin, the more than my handful breasts, the dip of her waist, the flare of hips perfect for holding onto for a good hard fuck, the thickness of her tight thighs, she's goddamn perfection. An undeserving fuck that I am, I'd been blessed enough to have my hands on her. In her. You are expected to be familiar with the syllabus and keep up with all the assignments via the online portal. In other words, but you didn't mention it in class isn't a valid excuse, but your zero will be very valid. And final. At the top is also my office hours. My door is always open if you need to discuss anything regarding assignments, grades, or projects. She glances at the clock on the wall and grins. We're done here. I'll see you on Thursday. Students shuffle out of their seats and more than half bombard the front, gathering around her. Glancing down at the syllabus, I head out the door. What I need to talk to Professor Barber about can't be said in a classroom full of witnesses. An hour later, I'm leaning against the wall outside of her office, watching and waiting for the double doors at the very end of the hall to open. When one does several minutes later, I slowly straighten, staring. I don't even try to hide it, even though I should. She notices me as soon as she steps inside. Her step stutters, halts, then she strides forward with a determination that pretty much screams, don't fuck with me. A little too late for that. Mr. Shaw. She greets me in a firm voice. As she did during the hour and a half of class, she doesn't meet my eyes, instead focusing on unlocking her door. When I invited students to take advantage of my office hours, I didn't mean quite so soon. It's the first day of class, questions already. She turns to me, but her gaze is fixed on my chin, and I curb the urge to grasp her chin and tilt it up until she's looking at me. I love having those pretty eyes on me, especially when I'm face deep in her pussy. Yes, Professor Barber, I say. And damn if that doesn't send a bolt of sizzling heat straight to my cock. There are a couple of things I'd like to discuss if you have a minute. Lowering my voice, I add, or we can talk about tattoos right here in the hallway, where anyone can come by and overhear. But either way, we're going to talk, Professor. Her lips flatten. Well, as much as those plump curves can, and she twists the knob and shoves the door open. I follow her in, shut it behind us and prop a shoulder against the wall. She marches to her desk and sets her bag and books on her desk, then pivots to face me, arms crossed, hip cocked. Silence damn near vibrates in this closet, generously called an office.
and it's heavy with the knowledge of what we did last night, dense with the awareness of our roles reversed, that she's my teacher and I'm her student, and she loved having my mouth on her pussy. Well, Mr. Shaw, she asks. Mr. Shaw, I arch an eyebrow. Really, in here? She sighs, glancing away before refocusing her attention on me. Dean, what do you want? How's your tattoo this morning? She frowns. Fine. A little tender, but fine. Her frown deepens. Is that what you wanted to see me about? You ran out before I could give you aftercare instructions, such as rubbing ointment on it for the next few days. If you'll swing by the shop, you can buy some there, I offer. But no, that isn't why I'm here. And let's not pretend you don't know why I am, Woody. Emotion flares in her dark eyes at the nickname. My intentional reminder forcing her to confront and acknowledge the big-ass herd of stampeding elephants in the room. It should have never happened, she murmurs. We both need to forget about it. I'm your professor and you're one of my students. That's the extent of our relationship. No. Her chin jerks up at my blunt refusal. No, she repeats, slower. I'm sorry, correction. Hell no. Anger seeps into her face, narrowing her eyes and straining her sharp as glass cheekbones. What's your plan? Hold last night over my head? Use it for what? Favor? A grade? Maybe tell? Quiet, I growl snatching at my seething temper and grabbing hold with both hands. But it's slipping right through my fingers. I push off the wall and stalk closer to her, not stopping until inches separate us. Control by intimidation isn't my thing, so I maintain a careful distance. But then again, being accused of blackmail isn't my thing either. You don't really know me that well, so I'm going to let this one slide. You're surprised. Got it. Even embarrassed, still got it, but you don't get to say that to me again. She pinches the bridge of her nose, her eyes briefly closing. I'm sorry if I offended you, she finally murmurs. But you're right, I don't know you. Let's change that. The words burst out of me before I have time to consider the wisdom of them. And as her eyes widen in surprise, I can tell she's as shocked as I am. Swallowing a curse, I scrub a hand down my face, but that's a mistake, because for a second I swear I can still catch her scent on my fingers. Of course I've washed my fingers and showered since last night, but it doesn't matter. I'd been right. The fragrance from her skin had been thicker, more potent than her pussy. Like a shot of the most expensive top-shelf liquor known to mankind. A liquor I wouldn't normally be able to afford, but now got a taste of. Fuck it. I'm like an alcoholic the way I'm craving more. Which explains why I'm standing here asking her to see me again. Are you crazy? She hisses. Did you not hear what I just said? I'm your professor. If anyone found out about last night, I would be in trouble. And that's when I didn't know you were my student. But to knowingly carry on something with you, I could lose my job. I walked away from my old life to take this position. I can't jeopardize it. No, I won't jeopardize it. 
She's speaking the truth. This is a small town, and if I was a selfless man, I would walk out of this office right now. But I'm not that man. At least not in this moment. For five years, I've been the responsible one. The parent. The provider. The counselor. I've been everything my family needed, but last night, I took for myself. Of course, I've had my fair share of pussy. Some women's sole purpose for coming into the shop is to fuck an artist. And until Nikki walked into that lobby, I didn't care about being used to fulfill some kind of bad boy fantasy. Not when I was using them right back. But Nikki, she was different. Is different. Yeah, she's a fucking goddess, but there's more to her. That courage, strength, obvious intelligence, vulnerability. And though she just accused me of trying to extort grades from her, she had to trust me with not just her safety to remain in an empty, locked building with me, but she also put her body, her pleasure into my care. True, I only had hours in her company, but in that time, she made me feel like the man I was before mom became sick and the weight of duty and obligation settled on my shoulders like a backpack stuffed with bricks. Free. Call me a selfish prick, but I want more of it. More of her. I know what you left behind, and I would never ask you to risk all that you've worked so hard for, Nikki. I say, deliberately using her name and shifting closer until the space between us disappears. Unable to not touch her any longer, I trace the delicate line of her jaw, her stubborn little chin, the temptation of her mouth. Her soft pants of breath break across my fingers and we both shiver. I feel those warm gusts under my shirt, over my skin, dusting the already damp head of my cock. But this job isn't your life. A teacher isn't who you are, it's what you do. So what does Nikki Barber want? To tie herself to a title? To a job? To people's opinions? Or does she want to live for herself? Her wants? Life without regret? She shakes her head, as if defying my words, but she's also leaning into my touch, increasing the pressure of my fingers on her full, sexy bottom lip herself. I oblige her, press harder until the tip of my thumb breaches her and her moist heat bathes me. I groan and grip her hip with my free hand, digging in. My chest counters hers, and her breasts rise and fall against me, her nipples grazing me through her blouse and my shirt. My dick digs into her stomach, and with a few less layers of clothing, it would be leaving a damp spot on her skin, and I'd rub my cum into her, leaving my stamp on her flesh. I have regrets, Nikki. I murmur in a voice so roughened by the lust grinding my insides to dust, it scrapes my throat. I regret that I didn't get to rub your pretty nipples or suck on them until you begged me to stop. Her muted whimper and the reflexive jerk of her body doesn't stop me. No, it spurs me on. You just gave me a taste of this cock tease of my mouth on my dick, but I never got to watch it swallow me down. Never got to fuck this gorgeous face. But those aren't even my biggest regrets. 
You know what it is, Woody? She doesn't answer, but another one of those small, telltale whimpers is as good as one. I lower my head until my mouth moves over my thumb and her lips. I didn't get to bury myself in your pussy. Didn't find out if you'd take me with one thrust or if I'd have to put some work into getting inside you. I want to know what you look like when you come. If you'd break my eardrums with your screams, rip my back to ribbons with your nails, or if you'd choke out your orgasm and squeeze me with your arms and thighs, holding me. I want to know, Woody, and if you're honest, you crave it just as much as I do. Her gaze, dark and swirling with arousal, burns into mine. But it's not enough. I need to hear the words. Hear her admit that this clawing, restless need isn't one-sided. Dean, she breathes. My heart thuds against my chest and my grip on her face and hip tightens. A knock at the door ricochets the room like the report of a gun. She yanks away from my hold and throws a panicked look over my shoulder toward the door. Damn it. I clench my jaw, curling my fingers into my palms. My body literally aches from the unsatisfied lust roaring through it like an enraged lion. I grind my teeth together to trap the don't answer that fucking door inside. So close. So goddamn close. I turn in time to see Nikki pull it open and reveal the older man standing in the doorway. Dr. Russell, hello. She greets in a voice that's amicable and only a little shaky. I wasn't expecting you. Did we have a meeting today? No, we didn't. The man who's obviously another professor replies. He quickly scans her body, but not quick enough. I battle down the snarl surging up my throat and the inexplicable and crazy impulse to stalk over there and insert myself between them to warn him to keep his fucking eyes off her. I thought since it was your first day I could treat you to lunch and see how it's going so far. He glances over her shoulder to me. I'm sorry, am I interrupting? The yes, you damn well are crowds onto my tongue, but she shakes her head. No, we were actually just finishing up here. Mr. Shaw, I'll see you Thursday in class. Mr. Shaw. That burns almost as much as her dismissal. But short of refusing to leave, I don't have a choice but to give in. For now. Nodding across the room, halting next to her, I wait until she looks at me. There's a plea in those eyes, and it pisses me off even as it punches through my chest and squeezes. She obviously thinks I would put her job at risk by outing her, outing us. But right now, she could ask anything of me, and I would give it to her, even if it was just to leave her alone. But she didn't ask it. As I exited her office and walked down the hallway, leaving her with another man, I hold on to that. Chapter 3 Nikki Thanks for walking me to my door, Dr. Russell. You didn't need to, though. I force a smile as I turn on my stoop to face my coworker. My coworker, who invited me out to dinner on the pretense that other faculty members would be joining us. Faculty members that never showed up, if they were ever invited in the first place, which I'm coming to suspect they weren't. 
first day of my classes, and I'd been tricked into a date by the humanities professor. I feel like such a naive ass. Please, God, don't let this be an omen for the rest of my school year. Chris, please, call me Chris, he says, for about the tenth time since lunch, and our date by Ben Boozlement. I had a good time tonight, Nikki. Even though I didn't invite him to use my given name, I don't call him on it either. Not tonight. I will avoid anything that will prolong this disaster waiting to happen. It's a shame the others couldn't make it, I add, and at least he has the good grace to glance away, not quite able to meet my eyes. I peek down at the hem of his dark pants, just in case they're smoking or are on fire. But... Thanks again. I remove my house keys from my purse, a signal that the evening is most definitely over. But instead of reading the room, Dr. Russell climbs that last step to join me on my porch. I would love to do this again, he says, his gaze dropping to my mouth. And for a horrified second, I think he's going to lean in and kiss me. Oh, hell no. Dr. Russell I'm flattered, but I really don't think it's wise since we're co-workers. One of my rules is to never date people I work with. Students, on the other hand, appear to be fair game. Shit, stop thinking of Dean, I order myself. I doubt that would be an issue. The peal of my cell phone interrupts him. Thank God. I dig for it and glance at the screen before feigning disappointment. I really need to take this. See you on campus. Oh, okay. Good night. He hesitates another moment longer, his displeasure and frustration evident. But when I don't relent, he turns and descends the steps. Only when he's in his car do I hit the decline button, silencing the still ringing phone and ignoring the call like the 20 before it. I don't need to answer to know how the conversation will go. How could you do this to me? Your own mother. You might think you're too good for us, but I'm still your mother. Everything I've done for you, you ungrateful bitch. Don't think I'm going to forget this. My voicemail is packed with vitriolic messages along those lines. A mother's love. Nothing like it. Sighing, I turn and insert the key in my front door lock. Nikki. I whip around, my heart damn near punching a hole through my sternum. My fingers tighten on my cell, and I'm prepared to hurl it before I recognize the figure standing at the bottom of my porch steps. Dean? I half gasp, half a yell. What the hell? Sucking in a breath, I press a hand to my chest. And if I were wearing pearls, I would be clutching them. What are you doing here? And how do you know where I live? This is inappropriate as hell. I snap. He cocks his head to the side, and as his stare travels from my hair, down my lavender-wrapped dress to my nude stilettos and back up, I brace myself against the tongue of flames licking at my nipples, stomach, and between my legs. In the five seconds it takes his eyes to return to mine, I'm aching and wet, hungry for him. Can we go inside, just in case you're date? decides to return for that kiss he didn't have the balls to ask for. He draws. All my reasons for not seeing him again are still very valid. Inviting him inside the house is not only foolish, but asking for trouble. 
I don't trust any part of myself around him, especially my vagina. That bitch just won't listen to reason. So no, he absolutely cannot come in. Fine, I mutter and unlock the door, pushing it open and leaving him to follow. While my vagina does jazz kicks, my brain warns me in a voice that sounds a lot like Whoopi Goldberg. Nikki, you in trouble, girl. I walk into my living room that's directly off the entryway, tossing my purse on the couch and removing my shoes. A nice place. Dean murmurs, entering behind me, hands stuffed in the pockets of his slacks. I drag my gaze from the sight of his powerful thighs, trim waist, and wide chest. There's a wildness about him that's emphasized by the civility of his long-sleeved black shirt and jeans. Well, not all civil. Like earlier, silver glints at the corner of his lush bottom lip, the corner of his eyebrow, and his tongue. Good lord. His tongue. My sex clenches at the sight of it. Yes, I've sampled that raw intensity. It only made me ravenous for more, even though I know it's dangerous to even think of wanting more. Thanks. I cross my arms over my chest, the movement defensive, protective. Now, you want to tell me why you're here and how you're here? To return this to you. His long strides eliminate the distance between us. And when he's several inches away, he removes his hand from his pocket and extends a card toward me. No, not a card. My license. Nicole forgot to give it back to you last night after she scanned it. Well, damn. How could I have forgotten my ID? But the answer immediately materializes. Dean. I'd been so preoccupied with him, asking for my license had slipped my mind. Thank you. I say, grateful, but then I narrow my eyes on him. This address isn't on my license, though. How did you know where I lived? He shrugs a shoulder. This town isn't that big. It wasn't hard to find out. Right, because you couldn't return it to me in class Thursday. Again, he shrugs, and I shake my head, and a small, rueful smile curves my lips. You just don't give up, do you? Not when something matters, he says, and the rumbly dark tone is dry kindling tossed on a flickering flame. I start to burn. And I do, just like that. I try to scoff, to wave off his words. We've known each other for 24 hours. Or do you just want to fuck me? Get me out of your system? Both. He states flatly. Baldly and I'm taken aback by the tangle of emotions his answer sets off. Anger. Lust. Hurt. Although I'm beginning to doubt that fucking you out of my system is a possibility. For some reason, I believe once I'm inside you, I'll already be thinking about the next time, and the time after that, and the time after that. He shifts closer, and like in my office, he surrounds me even though he's not touching me. His scent, his gaze, the heat from his big body. All I see is him. As for you mattering after only one day, who could meet you for five minutes and not be consumed with getting closer to you? Not want the chance to spend more time in your company just to look at you, hear you speak, 
find out what's beneath that beautiful exterior. I saw how Russell was with you, panting after you, hard for you. If you'd given him even the slightest sign that you were interested, he would have laid himself down at your feet, begging to touch you, to be with you. I'm lightheaded because I stopped breathing around, doubt that fucking you out of my system as a possibility. My heart is a caged animal, throwing itself against my ribcage, desperate to free and gift itself to this man with blue flames in his eyes and thunder in his voice. Do you know why I'm enrolled in college? He asked. The switch in topics a little dizzying, but not enough that I don't nod. I find myself famished to know everything about him. My mother had Alzheimer's. Oh, God. Dean, I whisper, and without thought reach for him and cup his jaw. Pain for that had ripples through me, as does Alzheimer's. I'm so sorry. Yeah, early onset. The sign started when I was 17. Lapses in memory, mood and personality swings. Disorientation with just going to a place as routine as the grocery store. By the time I was 19, We had to put her in a home. My so-called stepfather had left over a year earlier, so taking care of the family fell on me. I'd like to say that I didn't mind, but I did. I was fucking 19. I was scared out of my damn mind, but I didn't. And I think my mother felt guilty over the burden her absence left me, because during one of her more lucid moments, she made me promise to go to college She didn't want me to give up my future for her. It didn't matter that I'd been apprenticing and tattooing since I was 16. It's my passion and all I've ever wanted to do. But she didn't see that as a career path, just a way for me to make money. And I couldn't argue with her, not then. So I agreed, because I loved, love her. And if I could give her that peace of mind, but... He pauses, swallows. But a part of me resents her for making me agree. He briefly closes his eyes and a spasm of emotion crosses his face. I lift my other hand to him, cupping his jaw, silently urging him to continue, to purge himself of the guilt that I sense he's never unloaded on anyone else. I hated walking onto campus this morning. I hated myself because I should have been grateful I could fulfill my mother's last wish. But then you entered the class, and that quick, there was no other place I wanted to be. Because you were there. I got to sit and feast on you like a starving man. I'm in college because of her promise, but you're the one who makes being there bearable. He covers one of my hands, shifts it to his mouth, and presses a kiss in the center of my palm. Heat sizzles up my arm and arrows straight for my clit. I sink my teeth into my bottom lip, quelling the moan that rises in my throat. Just that simple touch. And I ache for him. But shame is an insidious bastard. And it creeps under my skin into my veins, polluting my heart, my thoughts. I pull away from Dean, as if I can stain him with it through osmosis. Crossing my arms, I shift backwards and smile. 
but there's no humor in it because there's none in me. You're honoring your mother by keeping a promise to her, and I just had mine arrested. I dropped that information between us like a live grenade and wait for his disgust, his condemnation. I expect either embrace myself or both, but he just stares at me, those blue eyes clear but sharp. What did she do? It's my turn to share. Most people usually ask how I could do that to my own mother. Not what did she do? I whisper. He moves forward, and the space I'd place between us no longer exists. He doesn't touch me, but he doesn't need to. Not when he leans down and murmurs. I haven't known you a long time, but it's enough to see that you don't have a spiteful, vindictive bone in your body. If you call the cops on your mother, then she must have had it coming. And, Woody, he lowers his head more, his lips grazing mine. I'm not most people. I slowly shake my head. No, you're not. Tell me, he gently orders. He moves behind me and wraps those muscled strong arms around me, one under my breast and the other across my stomach. I'm surrounded by him, his earthy scent, his strength. Get rid of it. I close my eyes, lean back into him, and do as he ordered. Since my brother and I were kids, my mother ran game, conned people. Sometimes it was men she dated. Other times, it was family, coworkers, people she just met. Didn't matter. She used them for whatever she could get out of them. Needless to say, we moved a lot. And we couldn't stay with relatives because they all knew she'd steal from them. And I wasn't exempt from her either. By the time I needed to get loans for college, I couldn't. Because I had unpaid power, cable, and water bills in my name. She'd used my identity. So my credit was shot before I was 18. So I had to earn scholarships and grants and work to pay for college because no bank would touch me. I eventually cleared up my credit, but that didn't stop my mother from stealing from me. Especially after I graduated with a good job, as she called it. I could afford to help her then. She stole checks out of my purse, took money out of my wallet, snuck out my laptop once, and sold it. She even had a fake driver's license made up with my name but her picture. And she would somehow always find out where I had my bank accounts, request another ATM card, and clean me out. It didn't matter how many times I switched banks or added alerts. She found a way around it. I'd talk to her about it, yell, scream, hell, cry. It didn't affect her. Getting away from her was my reason for applying for a job at a college I'd never visited, if not for this last time. I bow my head and press my palm to my heart. Pain throbs there. Pain that I was nothing but a mark to the woman who birthed me, was supposed to love me. Pain that I betrayed her. Finish it, Woody. Dean murmurs, brushing a kiss over the top of my head. I got you. I'd been saving for a down payment on a house. 
It would have been my first. I've always wanted to own one. Growing up, moving from shitty apartment to shitty apartment, owning my own home had been a dream. Even though I'd been very careful about hiding the account and any documentation for it, she discovered it. Out of $7,000, she left me $22.16. fucking cents, Dean. Like it was a joke or a goddamn tip. I laugh, and the bitterness in it raises my throat. That was the last straw for me. I filed a police report. The bank had cameras, so when they pulled the video, it was her, smiling as she emptied my account. They swore out a felony warrant on her, and she was arrested. And I left. You know the rest. Your brother. He won't talk to me, I breathe. His rejection almost broke me. My whole life, it had been he and I against the world. And he turned his back on me because I'd betrayed family. Fuck that. She betrayed you first, Dean snaps. And if your brother can't stand by you, protect his sister, then fuck him too. Dean, it's not that simple. The hell it isn't. He releases me and... Cupping my shoulders turns me around. Listen, you got dealt a shitty hand in the mother department. My mother may not have understood me, but she loved me unconditionally. Would have never have done anything to intentionally harm me. You can't say the same. But that's all on her, not you. She has one job as a mother, and that's to love you. And everything that comes under love, providing for you protecting you, preparing you for this mean-ass world. Instead, she was the mean-ass world. No one knows the pain and disappointment you suffered more than your brother. He was there, went through it with you, which is why he should have been the first person to have your back when you decided to protect yourself from the one hurting you. That he didn't, but turned on you too, says more about who he is than it does about what you did. So I'll repeat what I said. Fuck him. You stopped putting up with her shit, Woody. There's pride in that, not shame. Relief, gratefulness, sadness, and something softer but unidentifiable. They all crowd into my chest, press against my sternum. I blink, batting away the sting in my eyes that his blunt but powerful words stir. How old are you? I ask, clearing my throat. Twenty-three. Seven years younger than me. God, and still my student. I shake my head. I look at you and see the age difference, but then you speak, and you're more mature than most men I know. My stepfather was ten years older than my mother, and he still didn't know how to be a man for her when it counted. Age doesn't determine a man's worth. Experience does character does. Truth rings loud and pure in his voice, and I can't deny it. This man possesses more character, more honor and loyalty than any man I've met, older and younger. 
I set all palm on his chest, directly over his heart. The strong beat of it vibrates through me, and in this instant, I believe I can count on this heart, on the man it beats for. Sliding my hand higher, I circle the side of his throat, my thumb dipping into the crevice above his collarbone, where his pulse thumps. His fingers slide into my hair, tipping my head back so I have no choice but to meet his gaze. God, it's hot. The possessive hold and his eyes both brand me. And it's not enough. Not nearly enough. I release him and lower my arms between us. Without breaking our visual duel, I pry at his belt, jerking it loose and unbuttoning his jeans. Awareness and lust flare like flames at his unwavering scrutiny. And it emboldens me. Only once I jerk his zipper down do I lower my gaze, needing to watch that moment when his cock makes an appearance. My breath saws out of me, and anticipation and hunger are fueled in my veins. I dip my hand beneath the gray band of his black boxer briefs and tremble as I close my fingers around his fat dick. We both groan, and I can't help but squeeze the hot, throbbing flesh with the swollen, damp head. Without his instruction, I pump him, stroking up so the tip disappears inside my fist. I twist my wrist as I glide back down, down, down the broad base, not stopping until coarse hair grazes my skin. God damn, baby. He rasps, his grip on my curls tightening until tiny bites of pain whisper across my scalp. I whimper at that small sting, savoring it. Do that again. Tighter, harder. Fuck. It's like it's yours to do whatever you want with it. I take him at his word. I slowly sink to the floor and tug his underwear and jeans down, until they bunch low on his hips. His dick springs free, slapping his lower abdomen. Damn, he's just as beautiful as I remember. Thick, virile, strong. With a low hum, I trace the roadmap of his veins, crossing his stalk with my tongue, loving the pulse and throb of blood beneath. I've made this gorgeous, intelligent, talented man so hard that he growls low in his throat so that his hands clench and release my curls so that a fine shiver ripples through his large frame. I'd be lying if I claim not to be proud of myself. Fisting his flesh, I arrow it down and feed myself his cock. Inch by inch, until the head nudges the entrance to my throat and my lips bump my fingers. I slide off him and see... I'd only managed to take half of his length. Taking him back in, I suck him off, my head bobbing up and down, leaving him glistening and wet. He remained still, all that raw power restrained. His muscles locked as he lets me play with him. I lick the big, rounded head, flicking the skin directly under the ridge. He curses, and his hips jerk, powering more of his length into my waiting, starved mouth. You're teasing me, baby, and that 
gets you one thing. He grunts, gripping my head between those huge hands and pulling free of me with a soft, wet pop. Your face fucked. It's the only warning he gives me before he strokes back inside, parting my lips and surging over my tongue toward the tight channel no man has ever breached. With a muted cry, I dig my nails into his denim-covered thighs and hang on. He takes my mouth tunneling through, using me to get off. I love every second of it. If I could speak, I would beg him to give me everything, not to hold back. And when his cockhead prods my throat, I force myself to relax, to breathe through my nose and let him have it. Fuck, he snarls. Withdrawing, he doubles over and crushes his mouth to mine. His tongue tangles with mine, devouring me. I tip my head back, opening wider for him, granting easier access to me. He dives deeper, taking, claiming. Then he straightens, abruptly ending the kiss. Grasping my hair again with one hand, he wraps the other around the base of his dick and nudges my lips. Again. Once more, I open for him, and he thrusts inside, not stopping until the tip invades the entrance to my throat. He presses forward, and I quickly suppress my gag reflex permitting him to have what no man has had. Tears sting my eyes from the pressure, and I swallow, eliciting an animalistic growl from him. He draws his hips back, and I gasp in air. That's it, Woody. He praises. God damn, you're so beautiful letting me fuck your throat. Let me back in, baby. I do. Over and over. And when his body starts to shake and he shoots his cum into my mouth, filling it, I take that too. His harsh blasts of breath violently punctuate the air, his chest rising and falling. Lust stamps his face, glittering in his eyes, tautening the skin over the blades of his cheekbones, flattening the lushness of his mouth. But when he falls to his knees beside me and cradles my face between his palms, his touch belies that ferocity. With a tenderness that clogs my throat with emotion, he massages my jaw, soothing the ache from taking him. He brushes a light, almost reverent kiss over my lips. And once again, I'm struggling to breathe past the blockage strangling me. Silent, he tugs at the bow holding my dress together. In minutes, he has me stripped and lying bare on my carpet. Above me, he reaches behind him and removes his shirt, revealing the work of art that is his body. Ink and black, red, blue, and brown flows over skin and muscle, flexing with his movements. I could look at him forever and never get tired. I want to touch him, study him. But right now, I ache so badly. I desperately need him inside of me. I whisper, please. He removes the wallet from his jeans, then plucks a condom free. Seconds later, jeans and shoes tossed to the side. He sheathes himself and crouches over me, heart pounding. I can't lie still beneath him. 
not with desire incinerating me from the inside out. I reach for him, but he eludes me, ducking his head and shifting down my body. You asked me for something, he murmurs, rubbing his lips over my nipple. Lightning arcs through my body, and I arch up into his mouth. Did I? I can't remember anything when he's doing that. Yeah, Woody. He draws the beaded tip in and sucks hard. Oh, God. I groan. Don't stop. Tell me what you need from me. He rumbles, switching breasts and treating it to the same sensual torture with his lips, tongue, and teeth. Oh, fuck his teeth. I mean, I break off as he brings his fingers into play, pinching and twisting. My thoughts scatter, but then a hard, deep spasm in my sex reminds me what I was about to request. Inside me. Please, Dean, I need you inside me. Where do you need me? He asks against my damp flesh. Say it. Where do you want my cock? I know what he wants me to say. And despite lying naked under him, I blush. But I still utter. My pussy. I need you in my pussy. His eyes gleam with dirty pleasure and lust. You want me to fuck this pussy, Woody? He reaches down, cups me, presses a long finger inside me. Just that sends my nerve ending screaming. When he finally puts his cock in me, I'll probably short circuit. Want me to claim it, break it in so it only fits my dick. Yes, 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 I chant. He doesn't make me wait. Surging forward, he takes me in one hard, long thrust. I can't contain my scream, and my back arches hard off the floor, smacking his chest. God, I'm so full. Too full. I can't breathe without feeling him throbbing inside me, branding me. Shh, Dean soothes, brushing my curls back from my sweat-damaged face. Relax for me, Woody. I got you. He kisses me with gentle nips of my mouth, lazy licks against my tongue. Let me know when you're ready. I nod, and he continues to kiss me, distracting me from that overfull sensation. And soon, the arousal that had been pushed back by the invasion of his cock returns in slow, building waves of heat. Dean is inside me. And the acknowledgement of that ratchets the heat higher. Rolling my hips, I gasp at the pleasure racing from my, my pussy, up my spine and back. Groaning, I repeat the motion, grinding and twisting. He hasn't even moved yet, and he's already enslaved me to his dick. Hang on to me. He orders, and cupping the backs of my thighs urges me to wrap my legs around him. As soon as I do, he drags his cock free and I moan, trembling at the pleasure that lights me up. When he drives back into me, my moan transforms into a cry, and nothing, not past sexual experiences, not even having him go down on me, could have prepared me for the ecstasy that crackles and burns within me.
His arms lock around me, clutching me to him as he rides me, plunging into me, claiming me and breaking me to mold only to him, like he promised. Our hips slap together as if in war, but in total harmony. His grunts and my groans meld, mating as he buries his cock inside me over and over. Something this hot, this cataclysmic, can't last. And as he drives me closer and closer to the dark edge of orgasm, I fight it. I want to stay here. I'm afraid of how letting go will crack me into so many pieces I'll resemble a jigsaw puzzle. But Dean slides his hand between us and rubs his thumb over my clit, circling it and pressing hard. I'm gone. Lost. Above me, he stiffens, thrusting into me with hard, abrupt strokes that shove my orgasm higher. Together, we soar and fall. And in the end, it's his arms that catch me. Chapter 4 Nikki I park my car a couple of stores down from the tattoo shop. It's about four o'clock and I came here directly after my last class. Dean's text, a brief, come by the shop when you're finished for the day, has had anxiety tripping through me since I received it a couple of hours ago, especially since he wasn't in class today. It's been a week since the night he showed up at my house and we made love. And I haven't slept alone since. He comes over late at night after the shop closes and when most of my neighbor's houses are dark. The need to keep this between us is still there, but it grates on me. I don't like treating Dean like a dirty secret. He's better than that, and I deserve more than that. My cell phone rings, and I pull it free of my purse. One glance at the screen reveals the caller's identity. My finger hovers over the decline button, but at the last second, I hit answer. Hello, Mom. It's about time you answered your damn phone, Nikki. My mother screeches in my ear in lieu of a greeting. I know you've seen me calling and have heard the messages I left. The I'm sorry dances on my tongue. The apology is instinctive. I've said it so many times just to keep the peace, even when I'm not in the wrong. But I swallow those habitual words down, refusing to utter them again. I have, I agree. Well, actually, I stopped listening after the 10th voicemail where you called me an ungrateful little bitch. That's what you are, she snaps. Everything I've done for you. I could have put you and your brother in foster care at any time, but I didn't. You owe me. That's what mothers do, I snap back. They take care of their kids. They love their kids. They don't rob them blind. Did you even know what that money was for, mom? A down payment on a house. My dream. You stole my dream. She scoffs, and I can easily imagine her flicking her hand, disregarding my words. What do you need a house for? Besides, I had an emergency that was more important than some house you might or might not have one day. If you would have helped me out when I asked, I wouldn't have had to go to the bank and withdraw it. You didn't withdraw it. You stole it. I laugh, and it's humorless. It was mine, Mom. I worked hard and saved it for two years. 
It wasn't yours to take. And you didn't have to call the cops on me. Your own mother. She shouts and something clatters in the background. You're going to come home, go down to that goddamn police station and tell them you're dropping the charges. That you gave me permission to borrow it. And this is all a misunderstanding. You know. Silence echoes down the line. A stunned silence. And in it, I hear Dean's words from a week ago. You stopped putting up with her shit, Winnie. There's pride in that, not shame. Closing my eyes, I pinch the bridge of my nose. Mom, I love you, but you've hurt me too many times to count. I refuse to be your mark, your scapegoat, or your excuse anymore. And I'm not dropping the charges. Maybe at some point you'll realize that I'm not doing this to be spiteful. Maybe you won't. But I need to protect myself from you. Right now, you're too toxic. And I can't have you in my life knowing you'll just take advantage of me again. So I'm choosing to love you from afar. Goodbye. She's yelling as I remove the phone from my ear, but I hit the end call button anyway. There's nothing left to say. And for the first time in, well, forever, I feel free. Dean. I watched Nikki through the front window of the shop. From her stiff shoulders, bent head, and an arm stretched across her chest, I can guess who she's talking to. Nikki's mother has blown up her phone every night I've spent with her. I hate the look that flashed in her eyes and across her face when it happened. Like, she's haunted. Anger sparks inside me, and I force myself to remain in the lobby and not march out there, snatch the phone from her, and tell her mother to leave her the fuck alone. But this is Nikki's battle, and not only would she not appreciate me fighting it for her, I shouldn't. Still, I can have her back while she does. I stiffen as she slips her cell back in her bag and turns toward the shop. My stomach clenches as I study her face. No pain, no sadness. Relief courses through me, and even before she opens the door and strides through, I know she's won the war. You did it, I say, not ask, and I don't add anything more. Don't need to. She nods. Then, after several seconds, her mouth spreads wide in a smile, like the sun breaking through thick storm clouds. I shift closer to her, wanting to warm myself in that smile, feel her heat against me. Can we talk? She asks, glancing around the crowded lobby. Yeah. I press a hand to her lower back and guide her past the front desk and down the corridor toward the break room. After a quick scan to make sure it's empty, I lead her inside and close the door behind us. My palms itch to pull her close, thread my fingers through those beautiful curls and take her mouth, try to get my fill of her. And I say try because I doubt that's possible. She's a well that can never quench my thirst, but the only one that satisfies it. To answer your question, I did. She smiles again. And for now, I blocked her. Maybe one day, she shrugs, but there's no grief weighing down her voice, just resolve. But when I hung up with her, I came to another decision. She pauses, 
The unease coils inside me. I brace myself because I know what I'm expecting, but damn if I'm going to let her do it. I'm going to administration tomorrow morning and tell them about us. I'll explain the circumstances that we met before I started working there. I don't know what their response will be, but I'm willing to face it. Sneaking around with you is no longer an option. You don't deserve to be anyone's dirty secret, and I'm not ashamed of you to be seen with you. She thrusts a hand through her hair and exhales while I do the same, but for very different reasons. Mine is packed with relief and a joy that I haven't felt in years. So, she continues, you should probably be pre- Nikki, I interrupt. She holds up a hand, shaking her head. No, I've made up my mind about this. I- Woody, I interrupt again. And surrendering to the need to touch her, I cross the floor and cup her face between my palms. You don't have to do that, because I withdrew from Wellington this morning and enrolled at the community college. It's why I wasn't in class today. She stares at me, her eyes wide in shock. What? She whispers. Dean, no. What about your promise to your mother? You can't just leave. Especially if it was because of me. I won't allow you to do that. No, baby, I murmur bending my head and brushing my mouth over hers, lingering to dip inside for a quick taste. I didn't leave because of you. Well, not completely. I'm taking business courses at the community college that will help me here in the shop and for the place I want to own one day. And I'm still keeping my promise. I'm in college, but on my terms and still being true to myself, to my passion. I think if mom was alive... She would appreciate that and be happy for me. But yes, I add, shifting until her breasts are crushed against my chest and our thighs meet. I'm tearing open my chest and putting my heart, my soul on display. For her. I didn't want to give you up and, with me no longer a student at Wellington, we can continue to see each other. Woody, I don't know where we will end up, but I want to find out. And I know where I hope we will be. I don't give a damn about age, about you being my professor or ex-professor. I just want you in my life for however long you'll have me, however long we'll have each other. She circles my wrists with her fingers and holds on tight, as if I'm an anchor in a perfect storm. Our perfect storm. What if that's a long while? Then that gives us more than enough time to catch up on all things Woody Woodpecker. She laughs, and the carefree, joyous sound of it echoes inside me. Lowering my head, I cover her mouth, tasting the laughter on her lips, treasuring it, treasuring her. Welcome back. Hey. So, Season eight is over. That's it. Get the fuck out. I'm just kidding. Please don't. Stay here forever. Um, yeah, like I said about season nine, it starts August 1st. Um, we'll either air an episode next week or the next since we have about a three-week break until uh, the next new book comes up. And it's Alexa Riley. So never release before an ebook or anywhere. So you're going to have a brand fucking new book from Alexa Riley. So 
And like, there's, I don't even know how many weeks it is. There's so many, many, many authors and everybody's writing new shit. So it's really exciting. It's all going to be brand new audiobooks. Our narrator and our podcast producers, you guys get ready. We're, right. we're going to do the damn thing. Tell them what to do. Fuck your day up. Make today your bitch. Don't be a dick. Put sun sand lotion on. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye. Read me romance. Read, read me romance.